stay as positive and focused as possible. Um, I use affirmations and meditation to help with this. And then just take massive freaking action. You can't just sit on your ass and expect anything to change. Welcome to Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. Today, our guest is Kevin Amolsch. Kevin is the founder of Pine Financial Group, a leader in the hard money and private lending space. Kevin has a degree in finance, which he obtained after serving four years in the U.S. Army. He started out in banking before he started his first real estate investment company more than 20 years ago. He and his companies have closed on over 1,400 transactions worth over $450 million. That is something. He is an expert at real estate finance, and today he's going to tell us all about hard money lending for flipping of real estate. So he is a lender that lends money to people that are flipping real estate. He's going to tell us about his fund. He has a number of tools that are out there for anyone who is looking into uh, flipping, wants to get into the flipping game. He's going to teach you how to run those numbers. This is a fantastic conversation. If you're interested in the debt side of independent real estate investing, whether or not you want to be a lender or you're interested in investing in real estate debt, this conversation is for you. And once again, he has a bunch of resources that he mentions in this episode. They're all in the show notes, but certainly listen to the conversation so that you know what he's offering and you understand how to use those resources. I think it'd be a great use of your time to look those up. Once again, thank you for joining us. Now here's the show. Kevin, thank you for joining us today. Hey Taylor, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Happy to talk to you. Could you tell the listeners about your background and where you're coming from before we get into the topic for today? Yeah, you know, my background's been in real estate. I started real estate at a young age. I was 20 years old, 21 actually. I just turned 21. Bought my first house. I kept it as a rental once I moved out to it, out of it. And you know, I was producing cash flow and appreciation and things were going great. And I, I really enjoyed the putting the deal together, the structure and everything. And so I decided, you know what, real estate's gonna make me rich. This is a vehicle I'm gonna use. So I started studying it and learning about it. I ended up getting a student loan. I used that as a down payment on my second property. So I was low interest, tax deductible loan. I didn't need the money. Uh, for school. So I thought, yeah, let's go buy another property. And that's how I got my first rental property. Um, what I really love about real estate is the deal structure. And what I've learned is the financing piece is the deal structure. The way you negotiate the deal always has to do with the financing, how you're going to fund it. So I focused on the financing side. I ended up becoming a private money lender. So I started my company 10 years ago and we're about 85 million now on three different states. Uh, living a dream. Great, great. I'm glad to hear it. And you told me before we started recording that once you're done, you're going to go to a concert with some friends. So life's yeah, working out. Exactly right. Life's life's good, man. Yeah. So you know, there are a number of directions we could take this conversation. You know, as far as for somebody when you're starting a lending business, where are you getting that? capital from presumably you have investors in your business right right so until just recently my company's always been 100 percent debt free everything we've done is we've uh, raised the equity raised money from individuals uh finally banks are starting to see like hey man this guy knows what he's doing that's starting to work so i've been able to get some bank financing but it's still a 
pretty small scale. We're primarily privately funded company. That's awesome. And what structure is that under? Well, how's the legal entity set up? And is it a syndication? What are you doing? Yeah, you can call it a syndication. That's that's the the, the hot term now. Um, you know what? What I've done is I've I created just a, a primary company, a mother company, which I'm the hundred percent owner of, and then I've structured several different funds, and I just call them a mortgage fund. Some people might call it a syndication, but it's bringing a lot of individual investors together into one entity that we use to go out and make these loans. Um, and the reason I've had to do several different ones is because of SEC regulations. I mean, you're restricted on the amount of non-accredited versus accredited, IRA versus non-IRA. Uh, so each time I re reached a threshold or a limit, I would start a new one. Um, my most recent fund is a Regulation A, which is a quasi-public fund. I'm not listed on an exchange. I could if I wanted to, though. Um, but I'm allowed to advertise, so I could say, hey, look, I pay 8%. If you're in Colorado or Minnesota, I can I can market to you now. So that's been a big benefit. But now I'm almost reaching my limit on that one. So now it's just like, what, what's next? <laughs> on the other side of the transaction, right, you have the money coming in, but you need a place to put it. So what are you lending funds on? And I'd also like to get into some of the – business aspects of, of running, or the aspects of running this business and yeah, absolutely. systems and everything. I'll be totally transparent. So we uh, the big piece is obviously loaning the money out. If the money's not out working, I can't pay my investors what I'm promising them or telling them that they should expect. So that's a big piece of the business. I have, if you include me, there's four salespeople, not including me, there's three. I focus more on the bringing the money in. Those three guys, they are out there lending it out. We have a small administration staff as well, um, but they're looking for fix and flip deals that we could fund for our clients. We're looking for uh, fix and refinance. A lot of our clients want to build a rental portfolio with little or no money down, so this is a good product for that. Um, we've gotten real heavy into the commercial value add space. So, For example, I just finance the deal on a Safeway. They're turning it into a three-tenant building. It was just a Safeway. Now there's going to be a gym, a swim school, and then there's one vacant. They're trying to figure out what tenant's going to take that space now. Once it's all occupied, they'll, you know, it's bankable at that point, so they'll refinance me out. That's that's the direction we're going. Cool. So I can see a lot of um, potential pitfalls in that in underwriting deals. I mean, you still need to know that you're loaning on a viable deal, right? So how do you handle that back end of underwriting and understanding the market and understanding the borrower? How does that all work from a system standpoint? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's a little fluid because of the different asset types take different types of diligence. So, for example, on a single-family house, if we're doing a 100% loan, which is really our specialty, we're really careful there. So we're going to qualify the borrower and the project. The project's going to include a full appraisal. Uh, we're going to have a budget so we know what the work is going to be done, what, what rehab is going to be done so we know how to value it. And then we do a full package. So I'm looking at tax returns. Just That's more for disclosure purposes for my licensing so I can disclose correctly to my uh, investors. Um, but I am definitely looking at tax returns and and bank statements, uh, not tax returns. I do look at tax returns, but the primary thing is the bank statements because I want to make sure that our clients are set up for success. And the problem in this business 
is liquidity and reserves and you don't have that and you go over your budget, you go over your time and then you lose your ass. So if I could help them be structured correctly on the front end, I could protect my money that way. Um, on the commercial side, it's completely different. Right now we have environmental reports to do, soils, um, what's the use going to be? We typically try to get an appraisal on those as well, but it's a totally different appraisal because now we're based on um, comparable rental values and we're backing into a value on an income approach. Very different than uh, residential, which is simple. It's just what are other houses selling for, right? So it's a, it's a much more complicated process and, and reports. Sometimes there's feasibility studies, but you know it's all about building the team and having the right people come in and tell you, yeah, this is what you're getting into. You know, I was talking to somebody about this last week, actually. Their perception is the reason that most flippers fail, especially new ones, is along the lines of what you said, it's liquidity. It's they run out of money. Something in their rehab costs more than they expected, and they were just, they didn't have enough cash. So they had to sell it or bring somebody in. Does that reflect your experience? Oh, absolutely. That's the number one reason any business goes out of business. If you can't weather the storm... You're going to go out of business. So a strong liquid position is vital. Now, we loan 100%, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have any money. You know, that's just, I think the money's more important in your pocket so that if you have a problem, you can handle it. Hmm. Yeah, so you're loaning, you're loaning 100% on the property, and then they have to, the borrower has to bring the rehab costs, everything to, to, to the table, or is it 100% on the ARV? How does that all work? Yeah, so we, um, I'm not sure, actually, we didn't talk much before this interview, so I don't know what area you are in or your listeners, but we are in Colorado and Minnesota, and I know different states and different hard money lenders are going to be a little bit different, but we like to loan 70% of the after-repaired value. We don't have a loan-to-cost ratio requirement, so if you can stay at or below 70%, we're going to loan all the purchase, all the repairs, all the closing costs. So. The repairs are going to come to you in draws, just like a construction loan. So we are going to help manage that. I want to see that the work gets done, but otherwise, I'll fund I'll fund all of it to you if it's a strong enough deal. That's awesome. I'm in Richmond, Virginia, just to get that to you there. Um, I'm not a flipper myself. I'm a syndication guy, uh, but my window into the flipping world is that people are getting that that seventy percent number is getting higher and higher over the years. People used to yeah. try for 60 or 65, but that wasn't working anymore. So that had to that spread had to get a little skinnier. And is that still happening or is is that just in Virginia? What's what's the deal? Yeah, that's an interesting point that we could probably have a long conversation about when I got started. <laughs> man, it was almost 20 years ago when I bought that first house. I mean, you were borrowing borrowing hard money or private money at 80% of the value. Now, now it's crazy. I mean, if you're doing, if you're working on that thin of a margin, you're probably losing money now. Um, yeah. So then we've seen it retract, right? Now go to 75, and then I've seen it go the other way. And now we're seeing lenders get a little bit more aggressive, which is a little scary because the market's softening, at least in the areas I work. And if the market softens and it doesn't bail you out, see, in a good market, you could screw it all up and you'll get bailed out still. Now you got to be much more careful because if you're not going to see that appreciation. So I'm thinking 65% to 70 is probably kind of the max where hard money lenders should be right now. Mm, so they shouldn't be considering deals that are higher than that 70% and they should really avoid the skinny deals. 
Yeah, if I'm telling you from a, my perspective, I would agree with that. If I was on the flipping side, I would say, man, you should loan me some more money, right? But <laughs> right. no, on, uh, if you're if it's your cash in the deal, oh man, I'm saying seventy percent is probably kind of the ceiling there. Yeah, that's, that's my my humble opinion. Hey, we're all about humble opinions here. <laughs> this is a this is a very you know it's an opinion show. We're here bringing the experts on. <laughs> asking their expert opinion that's why you're here you're the expert yeah thank you i appreciate you having me here and I'd like to get to know more about you at some point yeah no absolutely we'll, we'll do that offline we'll do that offline. got it so as for somebody who is i don't mean to be you know talking to your competition potential competition here for somebody who's considering getting into hard money lending on their own not investing in a fund but going out and being a hard money lender. What are those some of those key early things that they need to know before they even stroke that first check for fifty grand to you know the flipper down the street? Yeah, there's a lot of pitfalls here, guys. And if you want to, you could email me and I'll send you a report on some of the pitfalls to watch out for. But um, and yeah, obviously that's free. But I'll tell you what, what I'm seeing is a lot of people. When you say fifty thousand, I automatically think of a junior lien position. Uh, it, it's mm -hmm. very rare to see that small of a loan amount in a senior position. And I have, I'm telling you, I've seen it happen where people will come into a junior position. They call it gap funding. That's the term, right? You're covering the gap that the normal hard, the smarter hard money lender isn't going to loan you. Um, so then you have these private money guys come in for 50 grand in a junior position and they can't support or they can't take out that first. And there's a problem. They lose everything. It's unsecured loan unless you're strong enough or big enough to take out the first. I've seen someone lose $180,000 last year on a position I was in first, I was the first, she was in second, and I can't protect her. Look, I have my own investors I'm looking out for. I felt terrible, but I had yeah. to foreclose. I had to repossess the asset and she got wiped out. And that's not the only time I've seen that. So you said 50, so that sparked up my uh, passion for this one, but there's a lot of pitfalls, right? Email me, I'll send you a report. Awesome, I mean, that that is a, a very good point. I, I'm going to harp on what I was talking to this person about last week, but a uh, speaker at my meetup that I host here in Richmond is a lender herself. And one of her strategies in that regard to protect herself was she'll just occasionally she'll just buy the property and let the flipper go, go ahead, go ahead and fix it up. And in that sense, she doesn't have investors herself, but as the flipper fixes up the property, if they don't come through, they've just improved her property. Right. If they yeah, do come through, it, it can work. So hmm. seems like a valid strategy to me. Yeah, it seems good because it's you can avoid the foreclosure that way. You'll just you already own it, right? So you don't need to go through a repossession pro process if they default. Some states might not like that so much. It's like you've heard of lenders having them sign a quick claim deed and then you put that in your file cabinet and if they default you record the deed. Well if you get if that gets challenged in court, you probably lose. Really? At least that's what my attorneys tell me. So I, I don't know. I don't think it's a bad strategy, but it's not bulletproof. Hmm. Interesting. So that's definitely good to know. I mean, I can see there are a lot of legal pitfalls here in addition to kind of the, the numerical, so to speak, pitfalls of running out of money, the cash flow problems that can come up against these flippers. Right. I mean, there's legal issues on both sides of the transaction. Right? And I'm not trying to say that her strategy is not good or isn't going to work. I think it's brilliant if you're going to avoid that foreclosure. I just don't know if I would bank on it. Right? I'd still try it. But if you get challenged, you might have a little bit of a problem there. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're if we're getting started out, we're not going to count on becoming a hard money lender with just 50k. We're going to have to be we're going to have to write a bigger check basically if we want to be if we want to stay safe. Lender, if we want to stay safe. Okay. So vetting uh vetting flippers to basically loan hard money to um from my world of syndication investing and syndicating we think about the quality, the experience of the team, all that. Where do you stand on the experience of flippers that you're loaning money to and when's the right time, when's the wrong time in somebody's flipping experience to start loaning the money? Yeah, that's a good question too. So you know, I built this company working with newer investors and building them up. Now, sometimes they'll graduate and go raise their own money and and they'll go off and do their own thing. And I'm, I'm too expensive for them now. Um, and that's actually a good win for me too, because I help groom them. So I really do think that it's okay to loan to newer investors. Everyone starts somewhere. But as you said, I think a good team is vital. If they don't have any experience and they don't have a good uh, realtor or mentor helping them, then I'm not really interested in, in doing the deal with them. And then, I'm not talking about a contractor that's done some rehabs before mentoring them. No, it's got to be someone who's seen the whole business cycle, not just the rehab piece of it, because you got to sell the property too, right? So a good realtor or mentor is vital. Um, for me, it's part of the interview process that I go through with my clients. And that's actually the very first step, right, is talking to them, finding out how, how they plan to move forward and who's on their team. Yeah, give me the story of the business here. What's the... What's going to happen if you could write it on a index card? What are you going to do for the new for this for your listeners? So if they're going to just get started, um, you got the money, or you have a group of people that have the money you could put together. You could do a syndication and make a loan too, right? So you could do that as long as you're in a senior position and you can all figure out a problem together. I think you'll be okay. So the first part is to have the money. Now you want to go out and do a loan, so you go out and start networking and trying to find clients, right? You're not looking for real estate deals. You're looking for buyers of real estate deals. So it's definitely a people business. Um, the best way to find those are on um, some online forums, networking uh, groups like your meetup probably. And I would find I would find good potential buyers, fix and flippers, and just tell them, hey, I got money. Look, here's my business card. It says I have money, so I do. And start handing that out. And then when they give you a call, then that's when the diligence starts. Um, so it starts with an interview, financial statement. I want to make sure that they are, again, the reserves. I want to make sure that they're financially able to do the deal. If not, let's bring in a partner or a signer to help you get through your first one or two. So it's financially strong enough. And then we're looking at the insurance policies, right? I want to make sure that there's a good title insurance policy in place and a good hazard insurance with liability. And so in case they get sued, um, it doesn't slow the project down necessarily. So I'm looking for, for all of those things. I mean, it's a Simple business, but it's more complicated than we could talk about in 30 minutes. So I'm doing the best I can here. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, uh, I'll, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, and we're getting a high level view here. Now, one of the things that I've, I, I, I see as a potential problem is under, and I brought this up before, but if you're really getting into hard money lending, you're out there on your own and de depending on what level of experience you have, is evaluating the numbers. So maybe you go find a borrower, you go out there and network, you get a, a big list, and uh, you're building relationships with people, and then 
they present you a deal, a plan. They say, here's my deal. Here are my numbers, all that stuff. Yeah. How do you get started, like, knowing the numbers and, you know, is this guy right? Is he off, you know, on his rehab budget, for example? Yeah, that's great. That's so great. So the numbers are the one, the most important piece of the deal, right? I mean, this is math. You have to understand the numbers in real estate. Real estate's just the commodity. It could be anything. We just choose real estate because we enjoy it. But you have to understand the numbers, and it all starts with that value. Now, I teach two-hour classes on how to value a piece of property, and I don't even know what uh, real estate agents and appraisers, especially a lot of real estate agents don't know how to value property, by the way. But a lot of the appraisers go through a pretty extensive training to learn how to do that, right? So that's that's a pretty complicated thing, but it all starts with a, a comparable sales that are in tight to the property, but not crossing over uh, into different types of neighborhoods or major arterials and that kind of thing. So it's not necessarily just a diameter, it's but it's in the same neighborhood. Um, and then you want to get as close to the size as you can, but you want to have some comps that are smaller and bigger so that you can bracket that. And, and that you want to bracket everything if you can bedrooms, bathrooms, and size. So start with the value, and then you gotta take off the purchase price, you gotta take off all of your expenses, including your profits, what you, you think you should be making, and you just start subtracting until you get down to the very bottom number, and that's what you should be offering on the property. Um, on my website, there's a worksheet you can get for free as well, and it walks you exactly through how to run the numbers on a fix and flip. Um, we've shot some videos about that too, and there's a calculator on the website as well. Um, because the numbers are, it is that important. Um, as far as the rehab, that's another tricky one. So it's the value and the rehab. Those are the two that investors miss on. Um, the rehab, I would say get a house under contract, do the best that you can, and then have contractors come in. And this is how you do it. You want all the contractors bidding the same thing. Every contractor is going to come in and say, well, you should do this, or you should do this. Here's an idea. And they're going to start bidding some weird rehab that you don't even necessarily want or need. So if they want to add that, cool, separate line item. But here's the things I want you to bid. Do that two or, with two or three contractors, and then you start to learn how to go. You'll learn what the prices and all this costs. It takes doing to learn it. You can't re read a book and learn how to estimate repairs because prices are constantly changing. And I would also say get it under contract first. And the reason I say that is because you want to respect the contractors. You don't want them coming into properties that you don't control. That's not fair to them. They have to have a legitimate chance to earn the job. Um, if you're going to spend their time, in my opinion, because they're going to give you that time for free. Yeah, and getting them, I think getting them interested so that they want to come out, that's another big question mark is how do you get them to want to take that time to look at your property and give you a bid? I mean, now we're kind of on the flipper side, right? But um, how do you get them interested and then so that they'll give you a bid, give you a competitive bid, yeah, maybe they'll just say, I don't work this, with this guy, but my boss says I got to give him a bid. So here's a go away, super high right. number. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. I'm that, just, that does happen. Yeah. And I know I, I do keep coming back to the flipper side because that's where my mind goes when I'm underwriting mm -hmm. a deal. So, I, yeah, I'm, I'm the lender on this side, but I'm always putting myself on, on their side. Are their numbers right? What did they do to come up with those numbers? Can I see the contractor bid? Just like they would do for their own project. Okay, so there is... Plenty of due diligence uh, there that a lender, a potential lender can do. Say, how did you come up with your numbers? And if they got multiple bids from contractors, that's great. Uh, if they have extensive experience, even though you said you're not afraid of new people. If they have extensive experience, that's probably a good indicator. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Hmm. 
Okay. Yeah, I mean, experience obviously trumps, well, not reserves. That's you know, Nothing trumps that, but that trumps a lot, right? I mean, if you have experience and you've been through the process, that's big. I just don't think I would deny someone for not being through the process. That's fair. I like that. As far as the numbers on hard money loans these days, I mean, what are we looking at right now? Um, yeah, and I just wrote an article today about this. It really, I mean, all hard money lenders are going to be similar, but there's going to be some variations, right? So you really need to understand what you're getting for the price. You can't just look at price alone. Um, some hard money lenders are going to be be there in your corner, like through the project, you know, giving you advice and helping you. And if you get into some trouble, like working through that with you, and some are going to be like, hey, that's it, foreclosure, I want the property. Um, so I would really understand all of what you're getting, what the down payment requirements are, what the terms are, what the fee, hidden fees and other fees are, um, what happens if you go over maturity, if there are extensions and what that looks like. So it's much more than just a price, but I'm not trying to avoid your question here. Uh, we charge between two and three points in origination. A point is 1% of the loan amount in a fee. And then we're between um, 12 and 13% as the interest rate. So let's say a brand new person comes in. We've never worked with them before. They're doing a simple fix and flip on a single family house. We're going to be at three points, 12.9% interest. Okay. Yeah, I think there's a, you make a good point in there. It's not about the cost or the price. It's about the value. What do you get from your hard money lender? As a borrower, do you get help managing the project? Are they involved? Anything like that? Are they very hands-off and just ready to foreclose on you? Yeah, and can they close the deal? Because, look, I just got a call Friday. They wanted to close. What is today? Tuesday. They wanted to close today. It hasn't quite worked out that way, but we were going to close them today. They called me Friday because their other hard money lender that has been working with them for two weeks called them and said, hey, I don't have the money to close. Ouch. Yeah, that sucks. That's one business day before closing. We got that phone call. So I would be sure you know who you're working with on the borrower side. And on the lender side, don't commit to something you can't do. That, that's a quick way to go out of business. That's a quick way to not get a call again next time from, from that yeah. same guy. And it'll make, there might be some reviews online, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So as far as running a fund, you know, I, I'd like to talk about the, the passive investment side of this. For somebody that says, all right, I don't want to learn about rehab budgets. I don't want to go out and network four times a week to go meet, you know, a handful of potential flippers. Somebody that would like to invest in a fund like the one that you have, what should they look for in a fund, the way it's managed, the way they set up their deals, all those kinds of things. And I'm going to ask the question, what are typical returns to passive investors these days? Yeah, that's good. So I think the returns on my funds are a little bit less than you might find with other hard money lenders. And the reason for that is we're much more established than a lot of other hard money lenders. Um, we're a lot bigger and got a great reputation. So I'll just shoot out uh, our, what we're paying right now um, first, and I'll go back and answer your other question. So we just pay a flat 8%. So it's a promise return and it's set and it's going to come every single month. No matter how well the fund does, you're going to get the 8 um, a lot of funds are structured more as, as an equity play, which means you participate in ups and downs. So you might have a pref or a preferred return. A lot of syndicators do this as well. So you might say 8 or 10% preferred return, and then anything above that is going to be bonus, depending on how well the fund does. Um, 
the thing between the difference between maybe a syndication on an apartment deal and a hard money loan fund is a hard money loan fund is they're investing in debt, which is much safer than buying property. But you're not going to get the big, you know, the big win. You're not going to get those 20, 30 percent returns like you might participating in a successful apartment syndication, for example. Um, so if you're looking for passive income that's real steady and pretty darn safe, secured by properties at a low loan to value, then a mortgage fund might be a way to go. And it's also, I didn't say this, but it's also diversified, right? Um, if you're out there lending money on your own, you're putting, you know, $100,000, $300,000 into a deal. That might be the only deal you can afford to do, or maybe you've got two or three, but however much it is, money is finite. Um, if you're in a, if you're in a fund, now you're, it's like insurance, right? Benjamin Franklin is a genius for in, inventing insurance because now we have all these people going into fund these deals and then you have little payouts, but we're all protected with a small fee every month. A mortgage fund or any of those is the same. If one deal goes bad, you still have all these other ones and you're all working together to still have that income come in, right? So back to my example, if you do one deal and it goes bad, well, shit, now I have a problem. <laughs> yeah, you do. And it back to that example of somebody at, at our, our 50K example from earlier, you could, if you're in a junior position, you could lose all of that and poof, it's gone. Um, and prudent investors, from my perspective, don't try to knock it out of the park with every single last dollar to their name. They diversify their investments. So I think there's a very good argument to be made about this diversification strategy and investing in debt rather than equity in addition to your equity investments. Right. Yeah. I agree. Um, <laughs> as far as the investment, you know, people in the syndication world, they're, when they get into it, they might, uh, they might not be comfortable with investing the money and then it's invested for five or 10 years plus. How is the liquidity for passive investors in debt funds like yours? Yeah, a lot of debt funds are going to have a minimum, uh, and even an equity fund will have a minimum time as long as they're investing in like loans because they're so, so short term, right? So each time a loan pays off, our average loan is a little under six months. So we always have loans going out and coming in, going out and coming in. So it creates some liquidity. And in a syndication deal, partner syndication deal, for example, you're in the deal, right? I've, I've invested in several uh, syndications like that, which is fine because I'm, ex I'm hoping for the big, you know, the big win. Um, but you're right. It's not liquid at all. You have to see it through. Um, a lot of the loan funds will create some liquidity for you. Um, sometimes there'll be a minimum time, like say one, two, three years. And after that, then you can call it due and you can get your money back. Um, mine, everything I've done up until this public fund has been totally liquid. If you want your money back, just send in a request. And as soon as I free up the capital, I return it. So I, I built it. So I, I give myself 90 days to return the money. I might have to wait for a, a loan or two to pay off and then I'll return the funds. This most recent fund from the advice of my attorney was to set up a 24 month minimum. Um, and after that, it's 100% liquid, no penalties. Well, that's, I, I think that's very reasonable. And it's like you said about in the syndication, your money is parked and we're not doing a whole bunch of transactions. That money is in the property and that's where it is till we sell it. Whereas with yeah. your short term loans, you're constantly churning. You've got just more turnover in your cash, I suppose, that can free some That's up. exactly right. Yeah. And where it's a lot of assets, not just one, and the assets are turning. Yeah, exactly. 
We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Sounds good. All right, Kevin, I've got three questions. I ask every guest at the end of the show, are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment in real estate that you ever made? The best investment in real estate I've ever made. Well, it hasn't come to fruition yet. I'm still working on it, but it's going to be a seven-figure profit. The 13-unit townhome project in Sloan's Lake, which is a neighborhood really close to Denver. So it's just right across the interstate from Denver. So I'm sure a lot of major cities have these little hot pockets, right? Hot pocket, that's funny. <laughs> um, so that's, uh, that's a 13-unit development. I ended up tying up that property 10 years ago on a lease option, no money down. And then I exercised the option, did a little assemblage. So I had to buy two other parcels. I put it all together and now we're building 13 townhomes and it's going to be a seven uh, figure payday. Wow. That's awesome. Good things come to those who wait, right? That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And I was but producing also... cash flow and everything that entire time when I was on the option. So it's, it's been a real good project. That's awesome. And in that, you said it's in Denver in that time. I mean, Denver itself has appreciated pretty significantly over the last 10 years, in addition oh, to yeah, that deal. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. On the other side of that, what is the worst investment you've ever made? Yeah. That's, see, I don't even need to think about these, Taylor. This is like so easy for <laughs> I was like, what is he going to ask me? I was getting all nervous. Like, you're not going to warn me what questions you're going to ask me here. But uh, yeah, the worst one was a, a hotel. I bought a hotel in Branson, Missouri. And let me think about this. It was a 23-unit uh, hotel and, and the a big chunk of that building all had like full kitchens. So they were almost like little apartments, but it was run as a hotel. And then they had a back building that had actual apartment units in it. So I bought it, uh, rehabbed it. I put in kitchenettes on all the other apartments and I tried to turn it into uh, an apartment building instead of a hotel. What I've learned is you can't do that without permission. So I didn't know that. <laughs> And so that was a big, big miss on my on my end. Um, so I, I had to continue to run it as a hotel, which comes sales tax and higher regulation and all this other stuff. Um, it was very difficult for me to manage, and it was a big time cash business. And this in Branson, it's um, not the highest income area, even though I was close to the strip. It still was a lot of cash customers. I think I had property management companies stealing money from me. I had a drunk guy drive through one of the walls. It was a it's, it was a challenge. So I ended up selling it. And I took a, a six figure loss on about one hundred fifty grand. Yeah. Oh boy. So all right. Apartments, self storage, assisted living, all of these things. Not apartments, hotels, self storage, assisted living. All of these are. I'm, I'm hearing more and more about this stuff because uh, you could make a lot of money. The problem is those are businesses. Those aren't real estate deals. A self storage or let's say assisted living, because that's what I'm hearing the most of. Assisted living is absolutely a business. You need to run that business, not just own the real estate necessarily, unless you could find someone to run it for you. Yeah, I mean, that's they've got all kinds of structures on who operates the property itself. But at the end of the day, my understanding of that business is your biz biggest expense is your staffing, your Staff, yeah. people that are in the property. Licensing so, and... Oh. Yeah, if if that doesn't indicate that it's a, a an operating business rather than a real estate, you know, investment, then I don't know what else would. But yeah, so be careful. At the end of the day, these all, these things are all businesses, and they're also you know, where's the blend? That's right. That's right. Wow. So 
avoid. I'm not planning on buying any hotels anytime soon. So. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Last question, my favorite one. What is the most important lesson that you've learned in investing so far? Most important lesson, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in your mindset. And I think that if you, if you go negative, which we all do it, we all go through tough times. This business is no different than any other. I mean, you're going to have really, really challenging days. You're going to have really, really challenging weeks and months and maybe years. You got to be able to get through that. And if your mind goes to the, to the negative side of things, it's just going to spiral. So I think the biggest lesson I've learned is to always, you know, stay as positive and focused as possible. Um, I use affirmations and meditation to help with this. And then just take massive freaking action. You can't just sit on your ass and expect anything to change. So Man, that is good. I'm going to say, I'm going to say right now to my uh, show notes writer, Jennifer, please take a note of that. We're going to make a quote <laughs> card that I love that. Thank you. <laughs> It works. It works. It's in your mind, but you got to work. You got to work. Mindsets first so that you can continue to put in that work when the going gets rough. Yeah, and it's hard. It's hard. You know this, right? Because you're in business. It's hard sometimes. So I think that's the biggest lesson is just to really focus on the mind, you know? Nice. I love that. So, Kevin, thank you for everything today. Great conversation. Where can listeners get in touch with you? You mentioned you have bunch of awesome resources that folks should check out. Lay it on us. Yeah, if you're looking for more on the private investor side or the more passive side, we have a website set up for that. Uh, it's pineinvestments.com. There's some resources on there for you. If you're more on the borrower side or you're just a real estate investor, um, a good way to go, good place to go is pinefinancialgroup.com. And that has all those resources I was talking about. You could download the the, um, the calculator and the videos and the and the worksheet to go through the numbers, pinefinancialgroup.com. Cool. I think this lending side of real estate investing is a great opportunity for passive and active investors alike. Most of the flippers that I know personally that are I'd consider friends, they fantasize about doing enough flips so they can build up enough capital to just be a hard money lender. Yeah, it's, they're all it's they're all looking for the passive payday. It's nice on this side, I'll tell you what. <laughs> the water's a lot uh, <laughs> a lot better over there. Uh, you can make a lot of money flipping too. It's just a little more work. More work, more stressful. It seems like to me from uh, from talking to flippers. I agree, Kevin. Thank you for everything today. I really appreciate the conversation, and uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, this is great, Taylor. I really appreciate you having me. My pleasure. To everybody out there listening, thank you for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It'd be a very big help. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you know someone that could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into our little tribe we got going on here. Once again, thank you for tuning in. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great rest of your week. And we will talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.